This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, here I am. I had to start the camera myself. My wonderful assistant, Sarah, is not here. She's working. So, here we go. Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. And we're going to finish up the chapter, Daniel chapter 7 today. The title for today is Our Superheroes Defeat the Villains. The Ancient of Days and the Son of Man are our superheroes, and they de the, our superheroes defeat the villains. Daniel chapter 7, we're finishing up chapter 7. We're in chapter 7, 9 to 12, 21 to 26, uh, 21 to 22, 26, and also we will be looking at 13, 14, and 27. So get out your Bibles. You're going to need your Bibles. Turn to Daniel chapter 7. Hit the pause button. Okay, I'm back. Daniel chapter 7, you're going to need your Bibles, and uh, Daniel chapter 7, be there. Now, we're, we saw the bad guys last time, and now we're going to look at the good guys. We saw Mecha Godzilla and the evil villain controlling this, this evil mechanized monster, but we're going to see that they meet their match today. They meet their match today. We saw the four beasts. Uh, we saw Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and then we saw how there's a prophetic gap and I have it on my computer right here, but also we're going to see a diagram in just a few minutes, uh, the review with. But we, we see that now there's a revived Roman Empire that we're going to be looking at now. It's going to jump from the, the Roman Empire to the revived Roman Empire. We talked about how the European Union is setting the stage for that. We're going to, we're going to see as we keep going a one world government controlled by this beast and this man controlling the beast, and that's the Antichrist, right? But we're going to see another two, we're going to see two more key figures today, and the Antichrist isn't going to like either one of them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for an amazing word, awesome word, and it's just so exciting to look at what you are telling us and how you're predicting it before it even happens. You're writing history before it even happens. The assurance that gives us that you are in control, you are sovereign, you have a plan for the world, and most importantly, you have a plan for each one of our lives, Father. And I know if anybody here, I'm going to say this, if anybody here in this prayer has never put their faith in you, never taken that purpose on, putting their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would do that because of the word today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we go, Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to read 9 to 12, first of all. As I looked, now this is right when the, the little horn is boasting, the Antichrist is boasting, but as, as I looked, verse 9, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, The throne, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, the court was seated and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. Then we're going to go down to verse 21 and 22. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced the judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Verse 26. But the court will sit and his power will be 
taken away and completely destroyed forever. Talking about what's going to happen in the Antichrist here and the saints' victory. Now, this this is in poetic form in Aramaic. Now, once again, we're in the Aramaic section of Daniel, uh, written to the world, not just to the Jews. And this is in Aramaic, but it's a poetic form of Aramaic. It's a, an elevated form. It, it's hard to describe. The best way I can describe it is like music in the background. As you read this Aramaic kind of a writing, think of music in the background. Da 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 you know, that kind of thing. And because they're in heaven, so that's it goes to this Aramaic da 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 it's heaven, the sympathy is playing, and then he talks about the Supreme Court, the true Supreme Court here. Sometimes we when our Supreme Court in the United States makes a really bad judgment, it helps to remember that there is a truly Supreme Court in heaven, right? A truly Supreme Court. Calling the US Supreme Court the Supreme Court is like calling an ant hill with a little ant on top of of it, king of the world. <laughs> That's what it would be like. And the thrones were set down. Thrones were thrown down. The little horn is beeping, beep, beep, beep. He's talking, uh, you know, boastfully. And kaboom! God puts down the, the hammer. We're not sure how many thrones, thrones are thrown down. Maybe three for the Trinity. <clears throat> we're going to see two of the, the Trinity today. Maybe 12 patriarchs, 12 apostles. <clears throat> we're going to see this in Revelation again. We're going to see in Revelation the thrones. And we'll talk more about that. And then it says... The Ancient of Days. But only one only one judge. There's not nine judges on the Supreme Court. There's one. There's one. The Ancient of Days. This is who? God the Father. Look at the context. We're going to see this. This is God the Father. Only, this is the only time he's called this in the Bible is in this chapter. Three times in Daniel chapter 7. He's called the Ancient of Days. The only time in the Bible, because but he's stressing something. It's the end times now, going to the end times. The Ancient of Days, stressing his eternal nature. Reminds us of Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He just is. He's the Ancient of Days. He has white clothes. White stands for holiness, perfection. That's his number one attribute. Attribute Leviticus 19.2. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That is his number one attribute. Everybody says, yeah, he's loving. Yes, God is loving. Very loving. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. I call that pretty loving. But he's holy first. First attribute. Overriding attribute is holiness. That's why he sent his son out of his love to satisfy his holiness and, and justice. He's not this grandpa up there just waiting to hand out Tootsie Pops, you know. He, he's holy first. And he also has white hair. What does white hair stand for? Obviously age, but it's really the picture of maturity, mature judgment. Think of the, the British when the, the judges, what do they wear? Those white wigs. You know, they wear the white wigs. I don't know if they still wear them, but they used to always wear these white wigs. Uh, looks pretty silly, but the idea is wisdom, right? Uh, mature judgment. Then also the flaming throne. The flaming throne we see here that, that God is going to be sitting on. The Father is sitting on. It's symbolic in the Bible of judgment. Fire is judgment. Uh, that's what we see all throughout the scripture. And the wheels are ablaze. We see these wheels that are on fire all around. And we see the same thing back in this book before this, Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 1, verse 15, listen to what it says. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw 
a wheel on the ground beside each of the creatures with four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite and all four looked alike. Each reappeared, each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creature faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. So we, we see an, even a, a more description of these wheels. And, and that's, we see in Ezekiel, these wheels, the wheels within the wheels. Some of you know the song, the old song, the old uh, spiritual song. And it has eyes on it, and it's a symbol of omnipresence omnipresence god is everywhere can see everything omnipresence second corinthians 6 second uh, chronicles 16:9 says for the eyes of the lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him the eyes of the lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him god can go anywhere he wants anytime he wants he's got the wheels to do it he's got the wheels it, it, this is a, a symbolic of the picture that he can go anywhere he can bring judgment anywhere at any time anywhere the um the the and that's something that god has that satan doesn't have satan is not omnipresent he can only be one place at one time so he has to use demons to do his bidding god can be everywhere at the same time and on top of that he still has angels to fight off the demonic attacks so that's what god has he also talks about this river of fire. Think of lava flowing out here. And that's, once again, judgment. It's a picture of judgment all throughout Scripture. Fire for judgment. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. By fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Fire is a picture of judgment. It's going to consume and destroy all that is sinful, all that is is hostile to God, and are surrounding the throne are what countless angels, countless angels. He uses a hyperbole here. It's a vast number. In fact, Revelation goes into even more detail on the vast number. In Revelation five eleven to thirteen, it says, "Then I looked and heard the voice." Uh, Voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb... Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Woo! The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So we, we see that what a choir of angels and saints together praising God on key. You know, they're going to be on key. Uh, I, they're going to have to give me a singing lesson uh, for that. But anyway, the books are open. Then it says, here we are in Daniel and books were open. What are these books? Revelation 20, verse 11 tells us what these books are. In Revelation 20, verse 11, it says about the books, Then I saw the... Revelation 20, verse 11. I'm a little ahead of myself here. Oh, no, here it is. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence... And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire. So we see that these books are open and we each have a choice to make. Will we face, when the books are open, will we be facing life or judgment? Will we be given life or face judgment? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? That is the only way to get your name written in that book of life is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you been given that life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? We're going to pray in just a few moments about that. And so many are going to be sitting there thinking, I thought I was good enough. Oprah said I was going to go to heaven, said we were all going to go to heaven. You know, I, I did yoga. Didn't that, doesn't that count for anything? I was a good person. My pastor he, he said I was okay, said there was no hell. She said there was no hell. Uh, uh, listen, there is a hell. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He talked about hell more than anything else. Why? Because he didn't want us to go there. He died so that we wouldn't have to go there. He warned us not to go there. But there's only one thing we have to do, only one decision we have to make between heaven and hell. And it's not yoga and it's not Oprah. It's, it's not being good. It's not any of those religious rites. Nothing, no baptism, nothing. There's one thing and that is putting our faith Repenting of our sin and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever put your faith in giving your life to Jesus Christ? That is the one thing you have to worry about in this life. The one thing. The one thing. Now he returns to a normal language. He comes off of this elevated ta-da, 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 you know, language. And he goes back to a normal language. Uh, it's really coming back to earth, from heaven back to earth. Twilight zone. Coming back, okay? Comes back. And listen to what it says here. Uh, once again, back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 11. going to read. It says, <clears throat> Then I continued to watch. Because of the boastful words the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. The, the beast is slain. The revived Roman Empire. The revived Roman Empire is destroyed. Mecca Godzilla is defeated. The Antichrist and the, his false prophet are judged. When this happens, Revelation 19, Revelation 19, 19 says this. I'm going to read a parallel passage here. That's why you have to read Daniel and Revelation together. They uh, explain each other. Revelation 19, 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider of the horse and his army. This is Jesus. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the marks of the beast and worshipped his, his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. 
who we know who will destroy this army. We know who will destroy the Antichrist and, and his false prophet. We know that from Revelation, which we're going to see in just a minute. We're going to outline him very, very clearly. Now, we know that was the Son of Man. Uh, we know that's the Son of Man. Let's read it here. Our superhero makes his appearance finally. And he's going to defeat the villains on behalf of the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days sends him to defeat them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel 7, verse 13, where it says, let me just turn to that. Let's see. In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like the son of a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The son of... I'm going to say this again. One like a son of man... Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, led into his presence, given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Worshipped him. Here we go. The, the Son of Man. Who are we talking about? Jesus Christ. The Son of Man. We just saw it in Revelation 5. I'm going to read it again. Revelation 5, verse parallel passage to this. Now listen, Revelation uh, 5 verse 11 Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that the ism singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever to not just the Father on the throne, but to the Lamb. We know who that is. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Uh, they're both here, the Father and the Son. They say, oh, there's no Trinity in the Old Testament. Are you kidding me? Here's the Father and the Son in one couple of verses right together here. I was once at the airport and I got witnessing to somebody and they said, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm part of the Jesus only denomination, which is a cult, Jesus only cult. And she said, there's only Jesus. There's no father and son. There's only Jesus. I go, we have a, what about, you know, when Jesus is on the throne or on the cross and he says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Well, he was talking to himself there because you don't see them both. I said, so you got to see them both to really understand that he, he's not schizo. He's not talking to the heir himself somehow, right? Uh, no, no. You, so I took her, this woman, to Daniel chapter 7, where, and I said, okay, so here's the Ancient of Days. Who is that? Oh, that's Jesus, right? Okay, but here's somebody being led into his presence. And this, uh, the Son of Man is led into his presence, and he's worshipped. Who is that? Jesus? Well, yeah, but here's the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne, and here comes the Son of Man right into his presence, and they're both worshipped equally. Worship. Who are they? And she did not know what to say. It's the first time she realized that father and son standing together. Now, obviously, there's lots of other places, but I just showed her an easy, visible, physical 
picture to see this, and her friends grabbed her and said, Don't talk to him anymore! He doesn't know what he's talking about. They yanked him away. She was shocked. Listen, the Father and the Son are distinct from each other, but God the Father uh, and His Son, Jesus Christ, are distinct, but they're, they're, they make up the Godhead. They're, Jesus is still divine. The Trinity was not invented in 300 AD by some you know, uh, special group. They didn't invent that by a council. No, no, no. It's right from the Bible. This is the most frequently quoted verse in the New Testament. Did you know that? Because the Son of because of the Son of Man title. The Son of Man title. This was a well-known messianic title. The Jewish people, the Jewish people knew immediately what that meant. If they heard Son of Man, they knew immediately that's the Messiah. Talking about the Messiah. And there's this intense messianic expectation. They were waiting for the Messiah. That's why there was so much excitement when Jesus showed up. They were waiting for the Messiah. Huge. And this was a famous phrase. You know, there's famous phrases that we, we hear that we'll, we'll never forget. 9-11. Everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Now we're going to have George Floyd. Everybody's going to know exactly what we're talking about. And, and, uh, both very traumatic events. But this is, everybody knew what this was. Jesus used this title more than any other to describe himself. He used it 80 times in the Gospels. 80 times. And on the one hand, Son of Man is stressing his humanity because he came as a man, but no ordinary man. He's the God-man. But it's also a messianic title, which is clearly describes his divinity also. He is the God-man. Look what he does. He comes on the clouds of heaven, from heaven, which are used in the Bible to describe how God arrives over and over. He's given authority and worshipped, worshipped. The word there for worship, palak, it always, always refers to is worshipping, serving God. Always refers to worshiping and serving God 100% of the time. The Messiah is a divine being. He's the Son of God. He's the, the God-man who came to die for our sins. He, the perfect God-man who came to die for our sins. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be perfect. He lived the perfect life. His miracles proved it. He said, I'm going to die on the cross and rise again to prove I am the Son of God, that I have the power to take your sin away, the power to give you a new life. Just as I rise from the dead, I will. you will have a new life, resurrection, in life. He promised to do that. He did it. And it's clear what he's, what Daniel is saying. It's clear what Jesus said. In fact, compare Daniel 7 to Mark 14. In Mark 14, verses 61 to 64, listen to what it says. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answers. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? I am. Sound familiar? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man, Messianic, Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Blasphemy, why? Because he was claiming divinity. He was claiming to be God's actual Son, which we see in Daniel, worshipped. We, we see it confirmed all throughout the Old, Old, New Testament. We see here in Mark 14, he, he drives a nail into that claim. The religious leaders had the wrong picture of the Messiah. They thought he was a superhuman hero who would defeat Rome. But then he will do that. Wait till he comes the second time. But for the first, they missed the first coming. The Old Testament clearly teaches the suffering Messiah. 
a suffering Messiah. And met, in fact, many rabbis taught there were going to be two Messiahs, a suffering Messiah and a conquering Messiah. But they, there aren't two Messiahs, it's the same guy. He just came twice. He came to suffer and then he comes to conquer. And they were so focused on defeating Rome, they missed the whole point of the first coming, which was to defeat sin, to defeat Satan, to defeat the world. And he, and then the second time he comes, he's going to wipe out, the revive Rome and everywhere. But although he did defeat Rome at the first coming, spiritually, he defeated it spiritually. It happened gradually. The church was persecuted and it multiplied. The blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. And it weakened Rome's worldly power. The Christianization of Rome was one of the main factors in its disintegration because it no longer had that same worldly focus anymore. But the prophetic picture here in Daniel is the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he will destroy the revived Roman Empire. The revived Roman Empire. In fact, if you look at the picture uh, to the right or left of me, I'm not sure where Sarah, probably should put it to the right of me, uh, you, you see the, 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 the lion, the bear, the leopard, the beast, Rome, prophetic gap, and then we see the, the iron and clay, the ten horns, the Antichrist, and then the stone, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Jesus Christ destroys that statue, destroys the monster. There's that prophetic gap jumping to the end. We, we see that. It's going to be fulfilled. Uh, the um, Okay, Daniel 7, the beast is Daniel 2, the statue is knocked down by the stone. We know that's Jesus. In, in Daniel 7, the beast is killed. That is the revived Roman Empire, just as the, the feet and the statue are the, the, uh, the revived Roman Empire. That stone we know is Jesus Christ. It destroys robe and hit the toes, but it fully smashes this statue down at the second coming. That's the end of the times of the Gentiles. That is what's going to happen. And it's interesting, <clears throat> Josephus, remember Josephus? We've talked about him several different times, the Jewish historian for the Romans. He worked for the Romans and he, <coughs> excuse me, he figured it out. I, Josephus figured it out who the stone was going to be. He figured out that Jesus was going to destroy Rome somehow. He figured it out. Uh, but he didn't want to tick off the Romans. He, he wanted to be politically correct. Let me just read to what he wrote. He, this is him describing Daniel's vision here. He says, This is the dream which thou sawest, and the interpretation is as follows. The head gold denotes thee, and the king of Babylon, this is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar, that have been before thee, but the two hands and arms signify this, that your government shall be dissolved by two kings, but another king that shall come from the west armed with brass shall destroy that government, and another government that shall be like unto iron shall put an end to the power of the former, and shall have dominion over all the earth on account of the nature of the iron, which is stronger than that of gold, silver, and bronze. Talking about Rome, and Josephus knows he's talking about Rome, and the Romans know who are reading his books know he's talking about Rome here. Then he also said, Daniel did also declare the meaning of the stone to the king, but I do not think it proper. <laughs> I'm scared to relate it, since I have only undertaken to describe things past or things present, but not things that are in the future. <laughs> He's being careful. He does got to be politically correct. Yet if anyone be so very desirous of knowing truth as 
not to waive the points of curiosity and cannot curb his inclination for understanding the uncertainties of the future and whether they will happen or not, let him be diligent in reading the book of Daniel, which he will find among the sacred writings. He, a uh, little footnote in Josephus, uh, this, by this remarkable passage in Josephus, <clears throat> the stone cut out of the mountains and destroying the image, which he would not explain, but intimated to be a prophecy of the future and probably not safe for him to explain as belonging to the destruction of the Romans by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah of the Jews. Uh, <clears throat> nor is this to be wondered at that he would not now meddle with things future for he had no mind to provoke the Romans by speaking of the destruction of the city which they called the eternal city. He knew Jesus was the stone. He knew it was Jesus was the one who was destroying Rome, going to destroy the eternal city, not just Rome of that day, but the Rome of the future. Josephus figured it out, but he was being politically correct. He was right. It was future. He just didn't know how far in the future it was. He didn't realize there would be a second coming of Jesus Christ that would really wipe out the revived Roman Empire will be really fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. Daniel chapter 7 verse 27 says this. Verse 27 says, Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdom under the whole of heaven's under the whole heavens will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and the rulers will worship and obey him. When is this going to happen? At the second coming, we are going to win. That's when we win. That's when we share in the Jesus Christ victory. You look at that same parallel passage in Revelation we've already read. This is when it's going to happen. Remember the theme in Daniel. When bad things happen, is God still in control? That's the whole point of this book. The, the, the fire, the lions, the prophecy, today, end times. The whole point is God is in control of all that happened. Back in Babylon with the lions and the fire. Back, uh, back with all these nations in turmoil. Uh, today, all that's going on. God is in control no matter what happens. He is, is, he is, protects his faithful. One way or another, we are in his hands, whether he, he keeps us here protected, lets us be persecuted and die and brings us to heaven. We are completely in God's hands. We are protected. God is in control of our uh, control. He's in control of our lives. He's in control of our families. He's in control of our churches. He's in control of the USA, in the world, the end times. God is in control. That's the whole point of Ch Daniel chapter 7 and, the, and on. Wait till we see chapter 8. It's going to get wilder and wilder. There is no fear because God will give the grace. If we are called to go through persecution, which we'll see in Daniel and Revelation, if we're called to do it, this is the time, like many in the world are already going through, much of the world, most of the world already going through. God will give the grace at the time. Only fear God. God will give the grace. You don't have to get myself psyched up for it. Nothing you can do. It's all God's grace. He will give us the grace at the time. Are you ready? Are you ready? As, as Christians, are we ready? Are we, are we living holy lives? Are we living holy lives? Are we being prepared knowing how God is preparing us? Second Peter, Second Peter three, Second Peter three eleven. Well, I'll read verse ten again. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything on it will be laid bare. Verse eleven. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? 
You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to day of, of look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Holiness. Holiness. Because that's the whole point of persecution. That's the whole point of this spiritual battle. We are being prepared for heaven. We are being prepared for eternity with Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. We are being prepared for the, with the, to wear the white. We are being prepared to be purified and refined, made pure, ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ, being ready for eternity in heaven with Jesus someday. But the first step, have you taken the first step? The first step is putting our faith in Jesus. The first step is coming to Jesus and asking him to forgive our sins, wash us clean, make us new in Jesus Christ, fill us with his Holy Spirit. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus and given your life to him? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in what Jesus did in the first coming? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith, believed in, the word believe means your complete trust and faith in. Have you ever said, God, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive. Give all that sin and shame and garbage in my life, the disobedience, because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. What he did for me, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? You can do that right now. God, I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, you've just passed from judgment to light, to life, from judgment to life, from darkness to light. You now don't have to fear anything on this earth or beyond this earth because you are under the blood of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are Christians, How is God calling us to prepare for the second coming? To holiness. To speed the day of Jesus Christ. To prepare for that second coming. To be prepared for persecution. Not because we can gear ourselves up for it, but, but by saying, God, I need to learn to live by your mercy and grace. By grace. Father, I pray that we would all be ready. That when Jesus comes again, when he has separated the sheep from the goats, when we see who's true Christians and who are the fake ones, Lord, I pray that every person hearing this would be found to be in white, dressed in white, ready, part of the wedding of the Lamb. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've prayed that prayer of faith, you've given your life to Him today, tell somebody so they can be excited for you. Uh, maybe a family member, a friend, a church, Bible study, somebody. And if you don't have anybody to tell, tell me. 
nhcc, nhcc at comcast.net. Send me an email. I'll be excited and I'll help get you connected to the body of Christ in some way. A good church or good Bible study or somebody. Or I'll just keep encouraging you through email. But I'll, I'll make sure you stay encouraged, okay? All right, God bless. Daniel chapter 8 is next.